Thank you. This is about as much fun as it looks to stand up here and all you knowledgeable faces and try to present 40 minutes of uh, systematic theology. I do offer a money-back guarantee, so if it's, if it's bad, you can get every bit of this back. Um, we're just going to jump right into it. As Jerry said, my training is legal, so um, the next slide, whenever you're ready, is my disclaimer. Um, when you practice law, everything you do has to have a, a legal background to it, a, a law or a case that is attached. So virtually everything I say today will have come from one of these four sources or the main source, which is the Bible. So they may not be quoted, they may not be cited, but those, this is where I'm getting most of my information. So next slide. We're talking about creation. <clears throat> and we are blessed to be uh, governed by a triune God. In Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, we... We understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's important to note, because um, I think it's so easy to kind of overlook the fact that at creation, God was already Trinity. It was a, there were three participants at, at uh, creation. And as um, Riken says, Jesus is the agent, not merely of redemption, but also of creation. Jesus Christ is the creator God. The universe was made by him, through him, and for him. Next slide. Creator and creation are distinct. Again, we're talking about some basic principles here, but a lot of this is. We're just going to try to get through it as, as we go. Um, never should we cre confuse the creator with the created. One of my favorite verses in, in all of the Bible is Romans 1.25. Um, he's talking about the, the failures of society, and he says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Such an important point. When you just think about that, when you when you think about even in today's society, just an artist that stares at a blank canvas and over the course of say a week creates a masterpiece. The artist created that. You wouldn't just you wouldn't worship that art as though it came out of thin air. You, you respect what the master did, what the creator did, and, and it's so easy to get caught up in in the created world because that's what we live in. Um, and we're going to get into this later, but it's just a, kind of a keynote point that I want to make. We're talking about a creator in a created world. And the last point on that, God deemed his creation good. Very good, in fact. This was the way God planned it. It was, it was a, a perfect, um, perfect creation. Next slide. Um, quickly through these, because we're going to get into some theological um, heavy lifting, hopefully, in a minute. Um, erroneous philosophies regarding creation, the creation story. Uh, New Age paganism uh, views each of us as having a God inside of us. So no master creator, just a God in, in each of us. Materialism says that there is only the material universe, that there is no God, there is no master um, creator whatsoever. Um, in fact, as evolutionist Richard Dawkins says, there is nothing at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. It's kind of sad, huh? Um, Islam, when they look at creation, they, they, they view good and evil as having been created at the same time. They were equally ultimate. And as we know, God created a perfect universe. Now, it hasn't stayed perfect, of course, but good was created, and then evil entered the world. Humanism, existentialism, man himself is the only measure of things. Um, Jean-Paul Sartier says, There is no human nature, because there is no God to have a conception of it. Man is nothing else but that which he makes of himself. 
again, erroneous philosophies. So, why are we here? We're created by God, but why did he create us? Was he lonely? Makes sense, huh? But Grudem um, mentions this. He says, God did not create us because he was lacking or needing anything. He wasn't lonely, nor did he need someone or something to bring him praise or give him glory. He still chose to create us, and we do bring him glory. In Isaiah 43, 7, God says, Everyone who is called by my name, I created for my glory. We're created for his glory. We're going to go to the next slide, and that should actually say we're created by God, but, but how? It's the revelation of his character and his attributes. We're created in his image. Just let that simmer for a minute, really. We're created in his image. Look at this. <laughs> I mean, we can all say that. Go look in the mirror. We are an image of God. We're a reflection of God. Not perfect, but we are a reflection of God. God formed the man. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is intimate. This is a creation. This is a creator in love with what he's making. Making it in his image. It's con- it, the concept is mentioned three times in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He's not hiding the ball here. This is obvious. You can go to the next slide. Yeah, so an Im- what is an image? An image is, a, is fashioned according to the pattern of the original. We were made in God's image. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go with um, Grudem here. He says, the more we understand about God, the more we understand about ourselves. And the more we understand about ourselves, the more we understand about, about God. Because we were made in his image. Oh, I thought I saw a hand. I didn't know I was going to be question, question and answers yet. But uh, I'll give me a break to... Drink some water. <clears throat> it's the unique, unique sanctity of human life. God has made us like himself. From, from womb to grave and beyond, God has made us like himself. Let me go to the next slide. And I actually have this in my notes titled the Folex. You know what a Folex is? Anybody? It's a fake Rolex. It, it, it's a fo- Folex, yeah. I don't know if that's the official terminology or not, but that's what they go by. And, and some Folexes are very good. Uh, in fact, because um, Rolexes are so expensive, people make these Folexes, and um, it sometimes take a, takes a very trained eye to understand when a, a fake Rolex, and I'm doing this because the fake, you can see it twitch a little bit between the second hands, and a Rolex never twitches. It's, it's perfectly made. And essentially, that's what we are. We're the Folex. God is the perfect representation. The, 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 the movement that never twitches. And we're the, the representation that's just a little bit off. Um, uh, we twitch, <laughs> for, for lack of a better sense. So, um, how are we made in God's image? And, and these are all going to be in relation to God's perfect image. So we have a, a, an innate sense of right and wrong. God's sense of right and wrong is perfect. We're spiritual creatures. God is a spiritual being. We have the ability to think and process in reflection of God's perfect knowledge. We relate to others and desire community. Reflection of the triune. God lives in perfect community. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. Um, so again, when we look at our existence, uh, we don't first look at ourselves and, and explain away our existence. We have to first look at, at, at the source, at the, the creator. Uh, we exist only in relationship to God. And as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, and you can read it, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That should be a bumper sticker or something. That is, it's so simple, but that is, that is our philosophy, our overarching philosophy. Glorify God, enjoy him forever. It's that simple. And as we're going to get into this a little bit further, how to glorify God, how to enjoy him, um, Riken says, we are made to display the majesty of God. We have no purpose or significance apart from him. Next slide. So the goal of glorifying God, it occurs in everything that we do. In every aspect of life, um, it should be the first and, and main source of, of our motivation. Um, we have to remember that all of creation was good to God. In fact, it was very good to God, as, as he says. Um, and therefore, there's, uh, there's no separation between the sacred and the secular. Christians have to pursue the purposes of God in everything they do, every sphere of life, public or private. It's so easy. Um, it's so easy to, to, to assume that some things are, are beyond the pale of, of uh, pursuit of God, either because they seem hopeless or because they seem mundane. Um, it's, it's just not the case. We, again, start with that point. We pursue God first and everything else follows. And uh, Jonathan Edwards talks about rejoicing in God. He says, God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but also being rejoiced in. And I think my slides are a little bit out of whack, so I don't know where that quote's at, but that's all right. Um, so I'm just going to, yeah, I'll stick with this point. We understand the purpose of anything we do by the way in which it brings praise to God. And if you think about that, that, that that's really impactful. Um, I, I know when you preach, uh, Jerry, you probably follow the rules less than most, but you have to, there's kind of a, uh, there, there's a format you have to do. It's like a, a generic format, I feel like, um, all preaching, you know, you have to lay out the background, get into the details, and you got to hit that application. People are, that's the money shot, the application, you know, that's what everybody's there for. Um, and sometimes you mix it around, you intermingle, but that there's a, a general format, at least from what I've seen. And so we have to be thinking application. Even in a, a, a theological kind of a, a fundamental basis, we still think application. And here we're talking about we're meant to glorify God in everything we do. And this is going to sound so simplistic, but in your work, in your relationships, when you drive, when in your hobbies, mundane activities, in your leisure, in your rest, we're going to dig into these a little bit, but everything is for the purpose of glorifying God. Everything. First Corinthians says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I think we've moved on. Okay. How do we pursue God? Well, actually, yeah, first we pursue God. So we're going to enjoy God. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we pursue God, there's fullness of joy through knowing him and delighting in him. But there's also the inverse. It delights God. Our pursuit of God delights the creator. He delights in us, rejoices over us with gladness and loud singing, says Zephaniah 3.17. Brings joy to all parties. All right, now we're going to get into some, some details. A little bit, little bit of detail. You can go to the next slide. So how do we work this, this working for the glory of God in everything that we do? The only thing in the creation story that God says was not good was Adam's loneliness. We're meant to have relationships. Genesis 2.18 says it is not good for man to be alone. We're social beings. We're made to be a part of community. It's evident in the triune. Again, God lives in perfect community. Father, Son, Spirit. We're, meant to, we're social beings. We're made to live in community. 
We're supposed to share interdependent relationships with other images of God. When you think about that, we're humans, we're the image of God. When we share community, we're interacting, we're glorifying God by, by reflecting with each other the image of God. And Dara made a great point in, in our um, little feedback session, you know, when we recognize that all are made in the image of God, they reflect something about, uh, something about God that nothing else does. Nothing in creation does, like humanity. And how do you look at other human beings when you think about dignity and injustice and, and the way we treat other human beings or the, the concern we have for others in the world when you know they're the image of God? It's got to impact the way you think. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. It's going to be about work. In the creation story, God created Adam and put him in the garden to work. Work was not a punishment. It was, meant to, it was a good thing. It was a, uh, a gift from the Creator. We are there, okay? Um, he was to work and keep the garden. There's nothing better, as Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, there's nothing better for, than for a person that he should find eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Our day, daily employment has dignity because it's a reflection of a working God. God worked for six days, and then he rested. Again, if we're the folex of this relationship, if we're the, 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 the knockoff but the, the, the image in some capacity of God, we reflect a working God, and it should be dignified, and it should be, um, it is, should be viewed as a gift that we can do that. Moving on to the next one, God did work for six days, and then he rested. And we have to think about glorifying God and rest as well. Um, if we're called to imitate God, this is part of the, of the imitation process. Um, rest is so important, and, and, and it's easy to think we can rest... Um, we can we can rest our spiritual being too. Uh, that you know our day of rest is our day for ourselves as opposed to glorifying God. But it's not the case. Um, you know God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy for us to glorify Him. To to use that rest um, for our own benefit, for our to to recover our spirits and to 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 praise Him even in rest as opposed to work. You can go on to the next one. Even leisure. Our response to the creation story is to, to, to give glory to God through our leisure. We've, given, we've been given an entire universe with very few rules, really. We've been given this beautiful creation that God made. And, and our, our destiny, our, um, our purpose in glorifying God is to explore those possibilities, um, to develop the possibilities of creation in ways that reveal our maker. We're here to reveal the glory of God and, and taking part in... Leisure activities that, that pursue those ends is, is invaluable. It's part of the inherent potentiality of creation. We don't know the, 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 the total designs that God has for this world because we have been given a stewardship of, uh, of nature, of, uh, of our time and our resources, and we can still create, and that, that creation can glorify God. Um, it's, it's a beautiful stewardship that he's given us. It's not like he just created a closed universe and that was it. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to move on to the next one. Speaking of stewardship, we do have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It is an important role. Um, it's not to be overlooked. The creation mandate, you can go on to the next one. We're designed to represent God's rule over the, over the earth. Again, as, as a reflection of God, we have now um, been assigned that task. It's under our oversight, our protective care. And it should inform the way we view 
um, nature, our resources, um, I, and in fact, we're going to get into science here briefly. Um, nature is evidence of God. He created an orderly universe so that we could understand it. It's been perverted, of course, um, in many ways, but science, uh, you can go on to the next slide. It's, yeah, science, if properly understood, is a study and exploration of the physical universe that God made. He's given it to us to study, to learn, to glorify and grow closer to God. Uh, you know, again, we're, we're a fallen entity here, and it's not always the case. But in the purest form, science is an exploration of, of, of God's universe. Um, Johannes Kepler, an astronomer, said that God endowed man with a mind which can comprehend these norms and recognize them by creating us after his thoughts so that we can share in his own thoughts. You can go on to the next slide. Take a big drink before you get to sin, you know, that's... Whew, here we go, I'm sweating now. All right. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we'll talk later. Sin, sin defined, any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act, attitude, or nature. Simply put, it's disobedience to God. Um, we're part of a covenant of creation. God created a universe, that, a moral universe. There was a reward for obedience, life. There was a punishment for disobedience, and that was death. It's a, it's a fair, it's a just system that was designed. Um, as Grudem says, God decided that he would allow moral creatures to willfully and voluntarily choose to sin. Next slide. And I kind of like that quote. Adam was able to stand but free to fall, given the opportunity. And we've all been given the opportunity. Adam had to choose obedience to live for God or disobedience to live for his own glory. So Genesis 3, 6, and I think this is, this is unique in that we get to see the beginning of evil in a genuine historical event. It's not some abstract theory. There was an action that, that occurred and evil entered the world. Um, Genesis 3, 6, Eve took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. That act, that act of disobedience. And I, I actually in my notes have it bolded that he was with her. Uh, it, because this is a, a truly historical event. It, it actually happened. And, and Eve ate the fruit, but Adam's hanging out there. Many of us are married or at least have had relationships. What guy is going to stand beside his, as his wife leads to destruction as she pursues evil and doesn't say a word? Later on, he blames her. Hey, oh, he throws her under the bus. It's, 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 uh, it's amazing. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But no, he was there with her, with her. Okay. Immediately, the consequences were apparent. They had guilt. They had shame. They realized they were naked. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. They hid from God immediately. The action. Next slide. So through Adam, sin came into the world. Through one man. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. God... Now, through Adam, views us as all having sinned. And we confirm that. You can go on to the next slide. We confirm that original sin with our own disobedience to God. We, too, hide from God. We, have, we suffer from shame and guilt, um, just like Adam and Eve did. And, and the amazing part here is we also, um, as part of the consequence of this original sin, we also, um, as Adam's blood, we also alienate each other. Adam. I talked about him earlier, and here we go. Throwing his wife under the bus. Do we have that? Uh, 
I think it was back one slide. I'm sorry. I don't, didn't really hit it. Yeah. So he's, he's blame shifting. There we go. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Immediately, sin enters the world. We begin to alienate each other. This is one man and one woman and he's already, already, already alienating her. Sin. We do the same thing. We excuse our own sin. It's not our fault. Um, it's so easy to blame another. Uh, um, doesn't even have to be a person, but we. It, it's um, it's it's never our fault. It's um, when sin. Well, I mean, sin has already taken a hold of us. But but when it's so pervasive, um, it's it's almost inherent for us to blame somebody else. We um, we almost don't even make a choice in that. It's just natural to us. Natural to us. Um, the effects are everywhere, as Romans says. 2.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we can get to the next one. God's reflection in us has become distorted like a face in a carnival mirror. Now, remember, we started out as near-perfect reflections of God, as, as bearing the image of God, but it's been distorted through this fall. Such is our depravity that every part of our person is tainted by sin. Sin corrupts our hearts so that we set our affections on unholy desires. It corrupts our feelings so that we are in emotional turmoil. It corrupts our wills so that we, that we will not choose the good. Our whole nature is corrupted by sin. We are sinners through and through. It's an important point. Um, the the mora- morality argument, as I say, it's so easy to feel like you're righteous before God. Um, if you haven't killed somebody, if you haven't done some, ma- in our mind, major sins, um, you can argue that you're a moral being. We are sinful through and through. There's not a desire, there's not a will in our heart that... that, that would be righteous before God. And Grudem says, Our inherited tendency to sin does not mean that we are as bad as we could be. It does mean that we, like Adam, after he sinned, are unable on our own to do anything that pleases God. As humans, we can do seemingly righteous things, but to God, as Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Cannot be righteous before God. Next slide. Sins even corrupted our worldview. Our beings are so corrupted um, by this original and our own sin that we've um, now taken on that we naturally don't understand the ways of God. Um, I think Paul said, the natural person does not accept the, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Later on, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Or the glory of Christ. So how does this alienation work? Just a few kind of basic examples of the way that we, uh, we've now perverted our senses um, into looking at the created things as opposed to the, to the creator. Um, our bodies were created. We were breathed into life by a master creator. And we've corrupted them. Self-gratification, among other things, um, you think about indulgences. Um, the way we take care of our bodies physically, exercise and, and eating, are all ways that we either can worship God or worship ourselves, our own desires. Um, our work, our labor has become labor. Um, and, and the Bible makes a point of that, saying that your toils are now, um, you, or you wonder what your toils are, are worth um, in, in this world. Uh, because it, it's, it is now punishment. We can still glorify God through our labor, but it is now, um, throughout, through the fall, it's now a punishment. Um, and Grudem sums this up 
the, the work and the family environment. He says, taken together, God's curses against the man and the woman mean that the two most basic tasks of any generation, namely making a living and raising children, are fulfilled only through suffering. Only through suffering. Our family, childbirth, suffering, heartaches, loss, suffering. We're now destined to suffer. Our environment, when we alienate um, from God, when we worship the created, we now don't respect his environment. We destruct. Um, we, we create things that can dehumanize people, um, better methods of killing people. Um, so many ways that we can, uh, can, can destroy. Our science, same way, we're used for, for destruction. Even our play. Um, when you read the stories, um, the headlines, I use sports in, as, as an example, but it, really any leisure activity is corrupted. It is. It, it's, uh, it's flawed in some way. I mean, you're gambling on sports, you're <laughs> gambling on virtually anything these days. There's corruption throughout, um, cheating or, or otherwise. It's, it's just a corrupted, um, corrupted world. Even our rest, I, I think, in fact, that's maybe the most important one. Um, we are a world of diversions. We, we thrive on diversions. We thrive on video games and TV and, and all these things that can just turn our face from God. Our rest is designed to glorify God. It was, the seventh day was blessed and made holy, and we utilize our rest for our own benefit. Next slide. I've got time. I'm going to read it. Christianity also explains the misery and apparent meaningless of our existence. It explains the tedium of domestic chores such as washing the dishes and doing the laundry. It explains the power of our addictions, whether chemical or otherwise. It explains why the average worker has to do more and more for less and less. It explains why church leaders get caught up in sexual and financial scandals. It explains why families are devastated by divorce and neighbors are squabbling over the fence that separates their properties. It explains it. We see the perfection. We see the fall. It also explains more. Euthanasia, war, killings, darkness within communities, poverty, hostility, pain, and mortality. This is the one that, that didn't really ring true to me until studying this lesson. Mortality. You can go on to the next slide. Because of sin, we now suffer from the punishment of death. The wages of sin is death, as Romans says. Having sinned in Adam, we also die in Adam. Riken says, our inescapable mortality is the irrefutable demonstration that we are sinners who seek our own ungodly glory. Nothing is more ungodlike than death, which strips away every last pretension to deity. God is everlasting. More not. <laughs> it's that simple. Mortality. A consequence of sin. So, we're going to lead into salvation briefly, and I know I can't touch on it too much because I think the lesson next week is going to uh, get into it, but we've learned about how creation... How God created us in his image. And so I'm, I'm, I'm leading us into salvation um, through that, that lens of God's image. God's image is, it, it, we are distorted in God's view. His image is, is, is broken now because of sin. But through Christ, we are conformed to the image of his son, who's the image of the invisible God. Christians have a new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And you can go on to the next one. I really appreciate this. Uh, we learned earlier that Adam, through Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But the second half of that, that, um, that verse, and you can hit the slide. So by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, 
the many will be made righteous. Christ is here to reform that image. Next slide. Because of Jesus, we will eventually be changed to reflect God's image as we were once intended to do. Because of Jesus, we will be conformed. We will be that reflection of God in its fullness. And this is it for me. Last slide. And I I actually think this is quite beautiful. We looked at creation. We looked at how we were born out of the, the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven through Christ. I'm short and sweet. 30 minutes, I think, and that's about it. So I...